Hey guys, Kim Barrett here. Welcome to The Kim Barrett Show. I am your host, and on today's episode, we have the amazing Mr. Steve Sims. So Steve is the author of this book, Blue Fishing, which is phenomenal, and we dive into really how he breaks down his process for approaching and doing some pretty crazy stuff, like getting people to have dinner on the Titanic, like getting Andre Bocelli to sit at the foot of the Statue of David in a Florence museum and serenade someone while they're having dinner. Crazy stuff. So if you're someone who really wants to go out there, make an impact, work with high impact people and make a difference in people's lives, you definitely want to check out this episode. And of course, if you need help making impact with your marketing, head over to www.mogulcall.com. Leave your details. We'd be more than happy to see if we can help you out there too. But let's not delay any longer. Let's jump into the show. Steve, thank you so much for making the time to join us today. Really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. Our absolute pleasure. Now, I always like to start with this question, and I've already done a little bit of an intro for everyone about you, but if you if someone walks up to you at a party and they're like, Steve, what do you do? What's what's your answer? How do you answer that? <laughs> it depends. It depends what party, what party I'm in, but in my old element of, of basically being a a concierge to the uh, richest people in the planet, I would always say to them, I can make you more interesting. Mm. And that would that would be my answer. People would say, well, what do you do? Well, I can make you more interesting. And they'd be like, oh, how do you do that? And it'd be a case of, well, what was the most exciting thing you did? Treble that, add maybe a bit of acid on it, and that's what I can provide. So I was the guy that for a lot of people, I was like the nice version of Ray Donovan. I got whatever was necessary. If you wanted Beyonce to sing you happy birthday, if you wanted to appear on, you know, actually go on stage and sing with your favorite rock band, if you wanted a guitar lesson by ZZ Top, a drum lesson by Guns N' Roses, uh, closing down museums, going to see the Titanic, I was the guy that somehow built a business over 25 years to be able to do that, strangely launched a book, and so if I'm in the party where somebody has maybe read the book or got some kind of inkling on that mm. and they ask me what I do, it's the same kind of thing. I just say that I can make you more impactful. So it's uh, two different chapters of my life. Yeah, I love that. I love it. So I got the book here as well. I went and picked it up. It's an epic book. Thank you. I absolutely loved it. Now, I want to ask a couple of questions. So number one, if we look at the earlier stages of your life, if we uh, touch on those points, when people hear that, they're like, with so, so I come to you with the Outer Rangers thing, cool, I want to I wanna do a rap song with Jay-Z. Like, how do you actually go about going and doing that? Because some people would be, they're just going to hear that and go, how does this guy then take from what someone gives you a request, and obviously they've got to have the money to back it up. How do you then actually take that out and turn that into a reality? Two things make it really easy, which people avoid. The first thing is every entrepreneur has his superpower of ignorance. Every entrepreneur thinks they can't fail, okay? And that's our beauty. That's our secret strength. In the, in, in the dark of night where they've got no money coming in, you still wake up in the morning going, this is going to do it. This is going to make me rich. We have the power of ignorance. So part one, I have ignorance. Part two, I'm short-sighted. Now, this, this seems a little bit funny, but 
if I take you to the bottom of Mount Everest and I go, right, we're going to walk up Mount Everest. The first thing you're going to do is lift up your head, look at the peak and go, how the fuck am I going to do that? <laughs> when what you should be doing is looking down at your feet and making one step. Mm. Now you have momentum. You see, let's 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 break it down. You want to do a rock song, a rap song with Jay Z, mm. okay? Why would you phone your mate in Idaho? He's not going to bloody help you. So why don't you Google and find out what recording agency Jay Z's with? Find out what charity he's with. Find out what management he's with, and make the first call there. And understand that out of every twenty phone calls you make, you'll get told to screw off. 30 times, okay? I have something in the back of my head that says, if I get a no, I'm asking the wrong question or the wrong person. Mm. So again, down to that ignorance. So instead of, you, you always need the goal. You know, whenever I want to do something, I go, oh, I'm going to do, I'm going to get this this rap song for, 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 for Kieran. It's going to be, it's going to be cool. And that's the goal. What's the first thing I do? I have to talk to anybody in the music industry to understand how to make it happen. Mm. And that's what scares people. People literally get deer in headlights. They look at the uh, Everest and go, no way in the world. I'm not climbing Everest. I'm climbing 12 inches at the base of Everest, which is eventually going to get me to the top of it. Mm. I love that. I love that. And I think you know, I'm making an assumption here. Obviously, you know that that's the, the first port of course to do those things. From the very beginning, did you always have that approach and go, oh, cool, logically, I've just got to go and approach the management company, the record label? Or at the beginning, did you try and shoot and go, oh, cool, I'm going to jump straight to Mount Everest? And how did that work in the, in the early days? No, I was always, how do you eat an elephant, you know, inch by inch. Yeah. I always had that mentality. And I, I always had that mentality, but I didn't know. I said to you, I asked the wrong person or the wrong question. In the early stages, I was asking the wrong person and the wrong question, and I was repeatedly doing it. So I, it wasn't until I realized that I had to change things up. And of course, now, it, you know, I've been working with Elton John, you know, and, and rock stars all over the planet. If I want to get hold of a rock star, I've got a pretty easy way of doing it now. But things are only every easy once you've done all the hard shit at the beginning. Yeah. So in the early stages, people would be like, oh, I really want to get into that party. And I'd be thinking, well, okay, who do I know in the party circuit? Who do I know that's maybe catering that party? Who do I know that maybe rented them the location? Who do I know that's working the door? Again, I wouldn't go for the Everest. I wouldn't go for the host. Mm. I would go for the bottom people and go, who do I know around there? that can either solve the problem by getting them in or move me up to the next person that's got a bit of a control on the front door. Mm. So I was always a baby step boy. Now, one of the things that bothered me growing up was I grew up in the 80s. And it was the it was the period of Gordon Gecko, red, red Ferraris and red <laughs> Porsches. It was also the the launch of the NASDAQ and the new technology companies where people were coming forward with business plans, trying to raise $20 million, but had never actually done anything. They just had the business plan. And that kind of aggravated me. And I thought to myself, I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go out there and see what can be done 
and then do it again and do it again. So I was the opposite of planning. Mm. I was the epitome of doing. Yeah. And I would get going and then get better. Take it for argument and say, when did you first start the, your podcast? Uh, six months ago. Six months ago. Have you had the uh, the scary thing of listening to the first ever podcast you did? Yeah, well, I used to do podcasts a year, uh, a couple years ago, and I listened to the first one, and it's terrible. It's terrible. It's shit, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. 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 And why wouldn't it be? The first time you do anything, it's shit. Mm. Why? Because you get better. You can only get better when you get going. So with me, I would I would literally come and knock on the door and go, hey, my client wants to do this. Can he do this? And people would slam the door in my face. And then I thought, well, that's the wrong way to knock on the door. And I would learn from it. We learn, you learn a lot from your first shit podcast. Hmm. No one has ever done anything and then been doing it for five years and turned around and gone, well, the best time I ever did it was the first time I did it. No yeah. one's ever said that. So I'm I'm a guy that got a lot of doors slammed in my face, a lot of lot of threats of a punch up, until I learned how to actually get in that door. And there's this old saying about you got to get your foot in the door. That's bullshit. Anyone can get that foot in the door. You could go onto Twitter today and tweet directly to Elon Musk. Mm. It doesn't mean he's going to respond to you. But it, you, you've got your foot technically in the door, okay? Mm. The trick now today is not to get your foot in the door, is to be so irresistible, so bring so much value, commitment, and content that they don't want you to leave. Mm. That's the key. So everything now I've learned, I go forward, and if I'm trying to get a hold of someone, I'll go forward and I'll go, hey, uh, my name's Steve Sims. I, I want something from you, but before I do that, I believe you do this and you're having trouble with this. I've been looking at this. I've got an idea for you. Mm. And you bring a solution. You bring an answer to the point. I've gone to people before and gone, hey, I believe you're doing this. I've got a solution for you. Mm. And they turned around and gone, well, I like your ingenuity by coming forward with a solution, but we already solved it two months ago and in fact decided not to proceed. But the fact you came to us with a solution mm. we like the way you think and i've ended up getting the deal regardless yeah i love that and i think that's always it's like you're leading with the value first because no one ever just wants to get something just taken from them as you come and give them that value then it makes a big difference and uh obviously there's and um, a lot of these steps will you have in your book which is, which is epic and amazing now i have to ask i'm just because i was always curious you share some pretty cool stories of some of the stuff you've been able to do for people in the book as well. For you, what was the ultimate one? When you were able to achieve it, you were like, man, this is actually like, because obviously now you work with Elton John, you work with amazing people. What, what was the ultimate one when you got the got the deal across the line for a client? You were like, that was actually really cool. The first one, the middle one, and the last one. Um, you see, I literally sit there and I think to myself, how the hell did I pull that off? <laughs> and I get goosebumps. In fact, there was a story that, that I've shared a lot, uh, that hopefully not too much, I hopefully you haven't heard it, but you know that I closed, or I take it you know from the book that I closed a museum down in Florence. Mm, yeah. So uh, for the listeners, I had a client contact me because he wanted to set up a dinner party to impress his future mother and father-in-law. Instead of setting up a restaurant in Florence, 
I actually closed down the museum that houses Michelangelo's David, the most famous statue in the world, stuck a table of six at the feet of David, and then halfway through that pasta, I brought Andrea Bocelli in to serenade him. So that's, that's what I did, okay? In the afternoon, Andrea Bocelli was actually doing a sound check in the museum. Now, when you're doing that, looking down at your feet, you the sad thing about that is that while you've got that momentum going, you very, very rarely look up and smell the roses. Mm. So sometimes I'm moving so fast that all of a sudden my client's on stage with Journey or my client's walking down the white carpet with Elton John at his party or my client's just about to get serenaded by Andrea Bocelli and I get a whack moment. I get a, whoa, hang on, we're here, we've arrived. It's like being asleep in the car and then waking up. You're here. But I did that for Andrea Bocelli. Oh, I did that for my client, including Andrea Bocelli in Florence. And we were sat at the side of the plinth. Now, just to give you an idea, Michelangelo's David in Florence, there is a wall behind it that's concave. Mm. And you can actually walk around the statue. And there's a plinth built into the wall. So you can sit there and actually doodle or watch or look or whatever. We're actually sat on the edge of the plinth, myself, Andrea, and Veronica, his wife. And we're looking at the profile, well, not Andrea, because he's blind, but me and Veronica are looking at the profile of David. And I had been in Rome three days earlier. So this had been pulled together real fast. <laughs> and now we were taking a break. And I'm sitting there talking to Andrea Bocelli, looking at Michelangelo's David in an entire museum that literally just had the security guards and us. <laughs> and I suddenly realized what I had pulled off. And I'm not kidding you. My, I got a sudden cold sweat went down me and I shook. You know when they say, oh, someone just walked over my grave. You get a cold chill go through it. That happened to me. Now, Andrea can't see but he sensed it. My body froze so quickly. He sensed it. He spoke to Veronica. Veronica leaned over to me and she said, are you okay? And I said, I am, but I just realized where I am, what I've pulled off and who I'm sitting with. And it just came at me at a whack moment. So the bottom line of it is I'm still that kid that feels as though he got away with an extra dollop of dessert. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, how did I get away with that? Oh, I thought I was going to get to... And I can be in a room with Elon Musk, or I can be uh, in the Tesla factory in Fremont, or I can be in a, in a museum in Florence, and I still, even today, get that. Because as a, as a British biker and a bricklayer... I never thought I'd be walking through SpaceX with Elon Musk or um, eating pasta with Andrea Bocelli in Florence. You know, so everything constantly amazes me. I could stop now and still have enough stories to keep me going until the day I die. So the fact that there's another one or another one still amazes me. Yeah, I love that. I love that. That's one of the ones in the middle. Like, what was the first one that you got and then you were like... Fist pumping, you know. The first one, the first one was kind of weird. So I used to be a doorman in Hong Kong, and I wanted to speak to rich people. So I had to give them a reason to talk to me. And because I was a doorman, I knew all the cool clubs, and I knew the best nights to be at the clubs. And so I could get people in. So the way of me building up a Rolodex was to tell 
the rich clients that I wanted to hang around with, the, the target focused market that I had, I'd be like, hey, what are you doing on Wednesday night? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know, Stephen. I'd be like, my friend's looking after a club. Let me see if I can hook you. And I would do that just to get them to talk to me. So one night, they walked into the door and they said to me, oh, Steve, you going down to the yacht party? This is in Hong Kong. Hong Kong's a tiny little island. There's there's hundreds of yacht uh, of uh, harbors around it and hundreds of yacht parties on a daily basis. So they said, are you going down to the yacht party? And I went, oh, uh, maybe, which one are you talking about? Because I had no idea hmm. of any that night. They told me and I said, well, why aren't you going down there? Now, I'm talking about four good-looking, affluent, polite, courteous, professional gentlemen. Perfect page six picture, you know, caliber. These are the kind of guys that you open up a magazine, you see at a society party in the Hamptons, and you go, bastards, you know? <laughs> These were the perfect guys for that back page society picture. Yet for some reason, they didn't know how to get in. So... I went, oh, I don't know if I'm going down. Why aren't you going? They went, oh, we can't get in. And so I was like, okay. So they went in, and I'm stood there with my fellow meathead. And I said to him, I said, look, wait on a minute. You know, look after the door. I'm going to nip off down, down to the harbor. And the harbor was quite close to us from Wan Chai, which was the club area. So I nipped down there, and I found this yacht. And uh, it wasn't a yacht. It was like a motorboat, a motor yacht thing. And there was a girl there by the gangplank just getting things ready. This was early on in the evening. Party was still about three hours away. They were getting it up. I ran down to her and I said, hey, how are you? You know, I know you're busy, so I won't keep long. But uh, we've got four people coming in tonight. And I just wanted to ask, because I know you're going to be busy, would you rather they got here at 8 o'clock tonight or 9 o'clock? What would be better for you? The first thing she did, and everybody's got a knee-jerk reaction, okay? Everyone's got a knee-jerk reaction. Everyone's got a, a just a reaction of an excuse. The first thing she did was start flicking through her name chart. Now, I hadn't given her the name. I had just said, i got four people come down here. So I, I said to her, hey, I don't want to cause you any stress. I know you're getting ready for the party tonight, but I just wanted to know, did you want them to come before the rush? So they kind of helped um, uh, remove a bottleneck? Or would you prefer them to come like an hour later when the bottleneck's gone? What works best for you? And so she's still going through this list. And she went, well, and she suddenly starts thinking, because I've exposed her to the fact that she's got a bottleneck. She's got a problem coming up tonight. <laughs> I'm offering to help her with that bottleneck. So she went, ah... Uh, I forget the time. You know, she may have said 9.30, you know? And I was like, oh, that's great, fantastic. And then I, then I followed it and I went, look, I'm not coming, you know, I'm not cool enough for your party. Again, give them a little bit of a, you know, puff there. And I said, but I know what people are like. They don't always say thank you to the people that are helping put this together. So here you go. And I gave her 150 bucks. And I said, tomorrow, when this is all over, grab yourself a nice bottle of wine and some food and just be thankful that you created a great night tonight. But let's be serious. You'll be able to put your feet up and relax. And she was like, oh, thank you. So I was giving her empathy and giving her something to look forward to. The host never enjoys the party as much as the attendees. Hmm. And so I gave her this 150 bucks. Now, bearing in mind, 
I was making probably about six or seven hundred bucks by working on the door. If I'd have given her 20 bucks, she'd have told me to go screw myself. But I gave her $150, which was sizable enough as a thank you. And this was back in the in the early 90s. So that's like giving someone like 300 bucks now. Just as a thank That's a nice enough tip. <laughs> I then turned around and started to walk away. And this was where it got risky. I had still not given her the client's names. And as I turned around and walked off with confidence, she called me and she said, excuse me, what are the names? And I went, oh, cyber. And I gave her the four names and she wrote them down on the front. And she said, when they get, tell them to ask for Jackie. And I went, you're a superstar. Thank you very much. We ended up staying in touch after that. And she would let me know of all the other parties going on that I could get people in. But here's a sweet spot. I then went back to the club and I walked into the club. I walked up to the boys and I said, hey, boys, I've just made a phone call. I didn't even have a phone. I said, look, I've just made a phone call and I pulled a favor for you and you can all get in there. 500 bucks each and you're good. Without them blinking, they started to shred 500 bucks each out. I think one of them paid for a couple of them. The other, All of a sudden, two grand's on the table and it cost me 150 bucks to make that two grand. I realized then, in that moment, people don't mind paying. They just don't like being turned away. They don't like the possibility that they're going to get declined. The embarrassment is greater than the two grand. Mm. So they paid me two grand. They went along. They came back a few days later. They were like, oh, we turned up. There was a queue. We spoke to the guy on the phone. We said, oh, we're here with Jackie. Jackie's like, boys, guys, phone to Steve. You know, all of a sudden, I look like a rock star. They look like VIP rock stars. And that was the tipping point. I realized that people are far happier to um, pay to play. Mm. And also, this is a key thing. When they pay, they pay attention. Mm. And that was the key. If I said to you, hey, I've got, I'm going, uh, I was going to go to a party tomorrow, but I can't make it take my tickets you may not go and then i'll say to you the following day do you have a good time ah the kid wasn't very well or you know the dog was shitting over the floor oh the wife couldn't get her sorry i didn't go you know you don't care but if i said to you hey my tickets are 500 bucks but look i can't make it give us 300 bucks and they're yours if you pay 300 bucks i bet you are should actually be there yeah so I, I don't find it disrespectful. I give my friends discounts, but they all pay to play. Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important. And like we, uh, so we just actually finished a live event on the weekend. We had 150 people there, and we gave away tickets to not-for-profits and charities. We do Facebook marketing, advertising online, all that sort of stuff. And even though they're charities, they have very limited funds. And giving them a ticket, which is anywhere from 500 to a thousand bucks should be a big investment for them. It's a long, it was a long weekend here in Australia, so they're like, we're gonna wait for the long weekend, we can't make it, or the morning of, they're like, yeah, oh, you know, it's, it's a bit tough for us to get down here, long weekend, kids are off school, so look, we can't come. And they're the only ones, the only ones that didn't show up were the charities that didn't pay, uh, everyone else that paid, you know, whether they paid 200, 500, or 1,000, they all were there. Uh, everyone, it's always the same. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, I, I have friends, I have friends say to me whenever I do, I do private events called speakeasies here in America, 
And uh, I have friends phone up and they're like, oh, Steve, you know, I want to go to one of your speakeasies. And I'm like, well, here you go then. Here's the form. It's $2,000. And they go, oh, can't you do me a favor? And I say, yeah, I won't charge you and I won't let you come. Um, <laughs> but there you go. So you, you pay. And I always say, look, if I give you $2,000 worth of value for you spending $2,000, I failed. So I have to give you five grand's worth of value for every two grand. Now, I've got, we never do them more than 40 people. And every single event we've got, we're 50% sold out from the event before. Where people are just going, sign me up, sign me up. Sign. i got a client that's just kind of like, hey, I don't care. Don't talk to me. Just run the card and then tell me where I'm going. You know, so <laughs> you've got to give the value. If you can provide the value, the price tag is irrelevant. Now, before you kind of like go, oh, that's bullshit. Let's say for argument's sake, if I said to you, hey, do you want to go to a cocktail party tomorrow night? It's $30,000, okay? And you can drink all the cocktails you want, okay? I'm guessing you're calculating it in your head. I could buy all the freaking alcohol in an entire liquor store for $30,000. Why should I go? Okay? I've given you the wrong value. But let's say for argument's sake, hey, come along tomorrow night to a cocktail reception. We've taken over the cocktail bar and there's only going to be three people in the room. You, me, and Jeff Bezos is going to teach us how to make a million dollars. The richest man in the world, would you now think $30,000 was too expensive to spend an entire night with one of the richest men in the world? Exactly, so it's a bargain. <laughs> it's, it's the, exactly, so that's the thing. You wanna make all of the people that pay you feel as though they won over on you. You wanna, you wanna make them feel as though they got away with a bargain, they got a deal, they got a score. I got 10 grand. I've had clients hook up with different clients and they've met with different partners and they've done JVs and they've made 50 grand and it's cost them two grand to be there, you know? And then they come back and they come back and they come back. So. Always focus on the value, never on the checkbook. And if the client's arguing with you on the price, it's because you failed to demonstrate the value. Mm, that's so true and that's so important. And we find that all the time. A lot of clients, they'll, you know, we run Facebook ads for them. They'll generate, they'll have conversation and they're like, oh, these, you know, even though it's super targeted, these people, you know, they, they can't see the value. And it's like, yeah, well, like if you don't have a good offer, like even that knowing reading your book and and hearing of you and seeing yourself on Facebook and Instagram I know that $2000 is a steal for anyone going to an event like that I just know off the top of my head because you're going to have good people there and even when you say something like that for anyone that's listening if you're going to an event that you paid $2000 to attend the other thing you need to remember is that those other 39 people also paid $2,000 to attend. Mm -hmm. So that means that you're in a room with people that understand the investment of $2,000 and their time, energy, and effort is going to be worthwhile in some way, shape, or form. That's why I love going to events. And if I go to an event, I'll get the best ticket I can, a VIP or whatever it might be, because the other people also see the value in themselves and being around amazing people. Exactly. If you go along to McDonald's and order a burger and then you're pissed off because it never won any Michelin stars, then you're the idiot. So you've got to understand where the value is and what the payment is to play. You know, again, you've got to pay to play. 
100%. And now you mentioned before, now you're obviously you've got people making them the most interesting in the room, which is what you were doing and obviously really leveraging hard on uh, on helping people with experiences. And now you're going on the impact side because you're doing mm-hmm. a lot of education-based stuff now with entrepreneurs, right? As well, you've got a, yeah. a couple online programs and stuff. What's the focus on there for anyone listening if they're like, this Steve guy sounds really interesting. What are you doing on that side of things? It's, it's weird. See, I spent 25 years literally working with the richest and most powerful people in the world. And believe it or not, these are not the most famous. Mm. Celebrities made up, you know, maybe 10% of my portfolio and wouldn't pay as much. <laughs> but when the book came out, Bluefish in the Art of Making Things Happen, I suddenly had a lot of people coming to me going, wow, you do things differently, which is bullshit. I don't. I do things impactfully. And usually the same kind of things that you were doing 15 years ago, but your smart ass suddenly decided, oh, they won't work anymore. And decided investing in CRMs and click funnels and chat. That's great for the mass, but it's still just, as you say, it still does nothing more than amplify your voice, your tone and your offer. If you've got a shit offer, but a phenomenal funnel, you're still screwed, okay? Because your offer's still crap. So I I then started helping people and I never really put a lot of thought into it. I said, oh yeah, I'll help you. You know, yeah, you're gonna pay me. I started doing consultancy. I do that now, I coach. It's like two grand a month to be part of the group. But then we actually put a bunch of videos together and anyone that gets involved in Sims Distillery gets to come into my private Facebook group and ask me questions. So we do we do what's called First Tuesday, where people literally come on board and I'll spend 45 minutes and I'll answer whatever you want. You know, and people go on, they're going, hey, what technology are you using at the moment? What, um, how are you best getting speaking gigs? How are you getting onto the right podcasts? How are you using your marketing? What is your funnel? How do you do copywriting? How do you get a book sold all over the planet? You know, any question, if you've committed to joining Sims Distillery, then I'm going to commit to making you more impactful. So I jump in there and I love I love my first Tuesday AMAs and I will answer absolutely everything to help you guys. Mm, I love that. And if people do want to find out more about that, is it uh, what's the uh, best best site to go to? Well, if you head over to stevedsims.com, D, D's for dashing. So stevedsims.com, one M. Uh, you can find it on there under Sims Distillery. It's an online course, but as I say, it also houses a lot of my videos. I do a lot of videos and then bump them up in there. So it's not a case of you're going to get 10, 10 videos and then the next time I've got 10 videos, you're going to have to buy a new course. No, I don't play like that. We're building up this. I think when we started, we had like eight videos in there, and I think now we've got something like about 60, and it's growing. So, you know, it's constantly putting stuff in there. That's the best way, stevedsims.com. Uh, that's my website, and you can find out all about me there. Awesome. I love it. I've got one more question for you, and I, I can't remember where I, I was on a podcast one time, and this guy asked me, and I pinched it from him, so I always forget who gave it to me. I'd love to give credit where I can. But uh, the question is, what's one question that I didn't ask you that I should have? Oh, God. That puts the onus on me to make me sound interesting. And I suppose it's also a brilliant way of me to start you know, promoting, self-promoting, or being some other kind of slime bag. I think what people would be most shocked if they met me would actually be how boring I am. I live vicariously through my clients and my challenges, but at the moment, I've just planted a bunch of trees in my garden. And I'll literally wake up in the morning with my cup of coffee, kick the dogs out of crap somewhere, and go around making sure that my trees are watered. You know, it's just, 
I love, I'm a homebody. And so I, you know, I've got, here's another thing that people can't, I don't know if it's surprising that I'm married, but uh, I met my wife when she was 16 and I was 17. Mm. So I'm the guy that's been with one woman in my life. I'm very proud of it. So I think there's a lot of interestingly non-interesting facts about me that would surprise people. Oh, I love that. I love that. Um, I appreciate that. And so, guys, check out stevedsims.com. We'll put the links in the show notes. Uh, is there anywhere where you're super active on social media, Instagram or Facebook as well? Should people follow you anywhere there? Yeah, I want to give you some free shit. So there's a Facebook page page called An Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims. And remember, Sims has only ever got one M in it. So uh, Entrepreneur's Advantage with Steve Sims and I actually throw a lot of free stuff in there and talks and interviews and technology I'm using. I bought a new camera the other day. I bought a new lighting system for my studio and one of the lighting systems was shit. So I literally go into my Facebook and go, hey, I bought these two. This one wasn't good enough for me, but this one was cheaper and worked better. So I actually give a lot of up-to-date advice on what I'm doing, programs I'm using, stuff that works for me, stuff that fails for me. So I'm very much using this as a blackboard to let people know what works and what doesn't. And I've had people coming back going, you didn't use it right. So we've got a great community in an entrepreneur's advantage with Steve Sims. If you want to look at pretty pictures of just the shit I get up to, I'm on Instagram under Steve D. Sims. Awesome. Thank you so much. So guys, check all those out. And if wherever you're listening to this, check the show notes and we'll have all the links there. And thank you again, Steve, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Cheers, man. See you again. Cheers.